My name is Steve Coleman, and I'm one of the teaching team, member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. Uh, and we're here uh, to talk about the book of James. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James. It's the book after Hebrews and before First and Second Peter and First, Second, Third John. A little book tucked in there. And we're pushing further into our series. We're considering chapter 2 and verses 14 to 26 this morning. Let's just read through the section. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see, that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's just take a minute and pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We thank you that uh, it is a lamp to our feet. It lights up our path. Uh, it guides us. We thank you for the, uh, the revelation in there of salvation through faith in Jesus and, um, and all the things that we have in order to conduct our Christian walk. Uh, open our eyes today to your scripture. Help us to take it in, to apply it to our lives, so that we might bring glory and honor to you. In your name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I feel like I'm presented with a dilemma. James says that faith without works is dead. And what's he really saying? And why does it sound different than some of the other things that we read in the New Testament? In fact, the the New Testament is filled with verses that talk about the fact that faith belief in Jesus, is the route to salvation. We've just spent five weeks in Galatians, where if, if we didn't get it in the first chapter, we got it in every single chapter after that, that works have no part of salvation. Well, I, I said, you know, we, I need to show that to anybody that's saying, well, you say, Steve. And I jotted down a bunch. I ended up with about a dozen and um, then I thought, you know, not only do I not want to 
flash 12 verses up here and say, see, 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 but I don't think you wanted to see 12 verses. So I did what I usually do when I really need wisdom. I went and asked my wife. And I said, okay, I'm trying to prove something, you know, definitively. So really I can say, look, there it is. Can't miss it. And I have, uh, hypothetically, 12 verses. Uh, I think one verse, two verses is too few. And I'm suspicious that 12 is too many. She said, definitely. So um, her recommendation was four. So I have four that I'm going to put up on the board for you here. Uh, Coincidentally, they all fit on one slide, so maybe we should have a one-slide rule. I don't know. The first one, Romans 3.28, Paul writing. Now, we covered Romans about a year or two ago. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And then Galatians, and we just looked at this um, a month or two ago. We have believed in Christ, writes Paul, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of law. Since the works of law, by the works of law, no mortal man will be justified. And then Ephesians. This is a nod to the adult Sunday school class that meets behind this, uh, just on the other side of this wall behind me. And by the way, if you find yourself wandering around this building at 10 o'clock next week because you failed to set your alarm... Uh, feel free to drop in. We have a nice Bible study. It's really a discussion. And uh, it, you're, you're not out of step if you, you come in there. We're starting on Ephesians 3. If you know you're going to have problems with your clock, you can give that a read before you come. But we'd love to have you. Uh, Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. And then one from John. We did cover John about two or three years ago, uh, but, you know, three years, I'm not going to expect you to remember that, or two weeks ago. But uh, John writes at the end of his book, this one doesn't have anything to do with works, but I think it really nails the belief part. These have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this is, as you go through, and and it isn't just in in these uh, three epistles and one gospel. I mean, it's throughout the New Testament. Uh, The fact that God uh, loved us, he sent his son to die for us, and that by believing in him, we have everlasting life. But you know, if you do read the New Testament carefully, and and don't read it with just blinders on looking for verses that relate to salvation, but read the whole of the New Testament, you also find a different process that the New Testament describes. And I bring this up as background because I think there's, there's a way in which this will help us apply and understand James. Uh, there's a process of our continued growth in Christ. You know, theologically we refer to that as sanctification. Uh, and uh, it's from the Latin, which means holy. So this process makes us more like Christ and therefore more set apart from our old nature, from the way the world thinks, from, from all those things that, that uh, don't represent the character of God. 
And so we continue to develop new attitudes, new values, new behaviors that mark our new nature as believers. So we're given a new nature, and so this process of sanctification, this process of development and growth is about us continuing to think in ways that match the new nature, uh, ways that can, uh, for us to continue to uh, take on the values that are represented by the new nature rather than the old nature and to do behaviors that are more in line with the new nature. So first of all, and this is from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 4. And I have, uh, I'll read it. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do more and more. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body and in, in a way that is holy and honorable. Now, I highlighted brothers and sisters there. Uh, your version may say brethren. But the point is, Paul's instruction here, he's writing pointedly to believers. Pointedly to people who are members of the body of Christ. People who are uh, part of... Uh, this new nature, eternal life, part, part, of, uh, part of God in Christ. And um, because of that, you know, it, an eternal destiny other than eternal life, uh, hell, that kind of destiny is off the table. That's not in view at all in this passage. And yet he's urging them to do good things, that they should be pursuing actively um, things that God was pleased at, that God is willing. Uh, the second one is from Peter. We'll hear from Peter now in Second Peter. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. I'm going to pa- pause there. Again, what's highlighted up there, these are people that have received a faith as precious as ours. These folks are believers. They've believed in Christ New nature, all of that. And he writes, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and all the way to love. Uh, Because I want to get to the next highlighted part. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. So it doesn't say that they're nearsighted and blind and they haven't been forgiven anymore for their past sins. They still have, but they've forgotten it. They're in such bad shape that that their faith uh, is, is doing no good in terms of how they're acting. Yes, they have belief, and they were sealed at that time with the Holy Spirit. They were translated, as Colossians says, into the kingdom of God. Uh, But there's nothing else you can really say about them. Uh, I love that phrase. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord. The Lord expects that our faith and then our decisions on what to think, our decisions on what to do, 
our decisions on, um, on the choices that we make, whether we're going to do this thing or not do this thing, whether we're gonna, going to say, I feel this way, so I'm, that's just me. I'm going to focus here, or whether we're going to choose to focus on the truths of God in spite of our feelings, that that, that, that process makes us effective and productive. So we have this also in the New Testament. So when we read faith without works is dead, we know we're going to have to look a little deeper to be sure exactly of what James is describing. So here's our outline for this morning. What the New Testament says about salvation, sanctification. We're going to talk about the context of the book of James. We're going to look at the text itself and and uh, it breaks down into four examples that James provides. And then there's a, a conversation with an imaginary objector and then person who's objecting. And then a final word. Uh, the good news is that we've always, already finished the first task. So we've got that background done. Let's talk about the context of the book of James. As you've learned, if you've been here any of the last three Sundays... James is an extremely practical book. It's a book that, um, that's all about practical Christianity. Uh, Paul has those sections in his book too, but often books. But oftentimes you'll find that Paul at least starts from kind of a theological view. Like in Ephesians, he spends a whole chapter and a half... I, virtually the whole two chapters, talking about all the things that God has done. Uh, you know, if, if, if you've ever gone on one of these amusement rides, you know, where your cart is going up and, and around and everything, there's a set of mechanics underneath all that or behind all that that you don't see that's making the cart do all those things. Well, Paul always gives us that glimpse from God's perspective about what's true and what's happening. And then he says, therefore, you need to do this. You need to take off these old, old habits, these old natures. You need to put on new behaviors and so on. So he, he talks about it in that way. James is just right to, okay, here's the practical truth. This is, this is the application of your knowledge about God. This is your application about the knowledge of his truth. You know, it's, it's, one of, it's the most Jewish book, arguably, in the New Testament. It's been said that if you remove the references to Jesus, James would fit well with the canon of the Old Testament. People have developed charts which show uh, a dozen ways in which James reflects the subjects that are in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's very down-to-earth, very connected with the heart of God. James seems to have a central theme. You know, I've always thought of James as um, a kind of a book that had a series of compact teachings about living the Christian life. And, you know, it works that way if you read it. But I've been astounded. The messages Bill and Julie have brought us the last three weeks have... Um, have I've, I've seen through those... This argument that is being built by James, section by section, what I thought were unrelated sections, really seem to be connected. And this connection, this argument he's making, goes at least through my section today. Um, I've been studying mine, so I haven't looked ahead to see if this continues, but 
But what a revelation to think that James has got this series of, uh, of connections through there, and it puts a whole new light on some of these teachings. Um, I was mentioning this to Bill last week because I felt like a lot of those messages were sort of setting up uh, our discussion this morning. And he said, well, you know, James apparently is cleverer than we, we think. Uh, Paul's, Paul lays his stuff out and makes, makes it clear sort of how things link together. And, and here's James. Now I see him as a crafty, wily guy sort of hooking all this together uh, in a way that you need to sit and ponder it to sort of tease out the details of it and, and even to see the connection. So it makes it worth the study. Uh, so let's, um, <clears throat> so looking through chapters 1 and 2, uh, he starts by writing to brothers and sisters. Uh, he uses that term, or brethren, it depends on your translation, but he uses that term 19 times, <clears throat> excuse me, in a small five-chapter book. First of all, that tells us that what he's writing are things that pertain to folks that are in the faith, in Christ, have this new nature. So really, we can say that the question of heaven or hell is off the table. We're talking about believers. So what he's talking about here is important for that group of people. And let's see how that plays out as we go through James. Uh, It talks about the attitudes and, and behaviors they should have when their faith is tested. It talks about the endurance and wisdom that they should gain and that they should add to their faith to bring them to maturity, to bring it to completion. In chapter 1, he even talks about the fact that perseverance is going to be rewarded. He challenges them to receive the word, the Bible, and do the word. And that the person that becomes an effective doer will be blessed. He defines sort of pure and undefiled religion, and he says that that keeps the doer unstained by the world. So that's kind of what the this or that of James is. It's about are you going to be productive and effective or are you going to get tainted, get stained by the world, be ineffective? At least the way the context is setting this up. In chapter 2, he begins with, do not hold your faith with an attitude of favoritism. So we could phrase that and say, Make sure you live out the faith that you have, that you're holding. Don't hold your faith and say, I'm going to have favoritism, I'm going to show partiality. He identifies that a few verses down to say, if you're, if you're being partial, if you're showing partiality, that is sin. He gives the example of the man with gold ring who's treated well coming into the assembly, the church. And then the poor man that comes in, and you're not showing favor to them. You're not doing good things for them. You are doing good things to the rich person. So, um, and he sort of concludes, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If you're showing partiality, then it's sin. And uh, so James is very practical, and he's pretty blunt. So we have this build-up, this context. Well, let's consider our passage and how James uses examples to explain his point. And so uh, let's go to James 2, 14 to 17. 
where he, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be, be warmed and be filled, and yet do not give them what's necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So we even have that question, what use is that? Is it useful, is it effective and productive? Or is it useless, ineffective, unproductive? Uh, so the example he uses here is a brother or sister who has a need. A need we all recognize as, oh yeah, that's a need. It's not that they need uh, to uh, enhance the package on their cell phone. No, they're hungry and they have presumably no clothes, but they don't have essentials that they need. So earlier in chapter 2, favoritism is labeled in, as sin. Here, this is a similar situation, and it's being called a faith that is dead. Why is it similar? Remember, that was the rich man and the poor man coming into the church. Here it's a brother or sister, another believer, without what they need, uh, there's favoritism being shown here. That's why it's similar. We have a similar situation. Of fav- who, who's getting the favorable treatment in this example? Me. I don't have to get up off the couch. I don't have to open my wallet. I don't have to say, gee, yeah, I was going to, you know, going to hit a movie tomorrow or go play golf or something, and this is my movie money. You know, we, we, we're not inconvenient. We're, we're putting ourselves on a plane where it says we don't want ourselves to be inconvenient. So we're showing partiality. It's us and not them. So before we leave this section, I wanted to mention that one You know, this is a very difficult passage, and there's a lot to it and a lot we could talk about. We can't cover it all this morning. Uh, because I'm choosing to try to make things clear and try to keep things pretty straightforward. But this question, I, I just want to take a few minutes and mention, and, and that is uh, the, the highlighted question there. Can faith save him? I think your translation may say, can such faith save him or can that faith save him? Uh, it's faith in, in the Greek with a definite article, And it's possible to translate that way, but there's a lot of cases in the New Testament, a lot of the cases in James where faith has that definite article. And it's never translated such faith or that faith in any of the other places. So uh, I chose to represent it as can faith save him, but can such faith save him? And so the question is, and it's it's a, a kind of question, we're familiar with these, where the answer is obvious. So it's not a legitimate question. It's like, can, that, can faith save him? Of course not. That's the only answer possible in the, in the questioner's mind. So the question is, saved from what? Because we hear saved and we think, saved? How do you, you know, saved. That, that's what we're talking about, right? Uh, James indicates by using the same word, several times in James in a post-salvation context that 
that it seems clear that physical death is probably in view. So you can see in James 1.21, talks about accepting the word planted in you. He's talking to believers, which can save you. Well, remember that context? What happens to those that are doers of the word? They, they, are, they keep from being stained by the world. Salvation's off the table in that context. He's talking to brothers and sisters in the Lord. So save you from that. Uh, James 4 talks about judging others, speaking against them. And it says, uh, there's only one lawgiver. You're, you're being a lawgiver if you're sitting in judgment. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. Well, God's capable of saving on all kinds of levels, physical level, spiritual level, all sorts of, getting us out of jams, all sort of ways. But it certainly isn't inconsistent to talk about saved in, in a physical body aspect. Then James 5.19 really helps us understand James' use of the word saved here as he's talking to Christians. If one of you should wander from the truth, so here's a believer that's gotten caught up, gotten wrapped up in something, and someone tries to help them, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner, that person, from the error of their way, will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Faith alone guarantees eternal life, but not a promise for blessing in life. Not a promise for experiencing the joy of the Lord. Not a promise for the peace of God. Not a promise for long life. There's a real interesting verse in 1 Corinthians 11. In the context of the communion service and and. Uh, Paul's talking about the importance of examining yourself, importance of recognizing the Lord's body. Recogni- uh, talking about, even though this, these are just symbols, what we do when we share communion, it's, it's the focus is on Christ. But he says uh, at the end of that, and, and he says, you know, some of you are not recognizing the Lord's body when you take communion. So they were, they were treating it lightly, I'm not going to go into all the discussion of that, but they were. They were treating it lightly. And he says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Which is the uh, the Greek euphemism for passed away, for death. So that's that's kind of an interesting verse. Um, And and of course, uh, well, no further. Back to our example. Uh, Faith without showing it in impartiality and love for others without having love for others. It doesn't have an impact. It's useless in effective Christian living. This person in the example goes away hungry, and we go away reinforcing the drive and obsession of self. So second example is Abraham. James 2, 21 to 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Justified. Man is justified by work and not by faith alone. What may not be transparent to us would have been transparent 
to the people James was writing to. And that is sort of the history that's, that's written there in Genesis, the narrative about what happened. Let me remind you, in Genesis 15, God comes to Abraham. That's when he talks about your, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the heaven, like the sand in the sea. And, and he delivers some promises that way. And it says, sort of halfway down that chapter, what's quoted here. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Pretty clear statement on what Abraham did that resulted in him receiving God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness eventually. Uh, And he was called a friend of God. What What James says earlier about offering up Isaac, his son, on the altar is seven chapters later in Abraham's life, chapter 22. Uh, A long time later, at least ten years later, by the clock. Because what happens then is God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now this is the, the son that God said, this is the promised son connected to the promises I gave you. And God says, go sacrifice him. Of course, we read... um, in Hebrews, as Abraham went to sacrifice him, it says he believed God was able to raise him from the dead. That's, that's, that's quite a step in belief. Um, but anyway, so he goes up to offer. God stops him. That's the bottom line. And God says, don't do anything to, uh, to him, Isaac. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So what Abraham did... James is saying, what he did by his actions was to demonstrate that he did believe God. It didn't change his belief. It validated it. And not just to God. I think probably God's pointing out to Abraham, look, see, you didn't withhold anything. It's like, oh yeah, I didn't. Wow. Uh, And and, uh, uh, it validated it. It justified it. It was a justification. Yeah, That's my justification, why I can say I have belief. Uh, And so so when he says faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. Well, that's going back in chapter 1 where it's talking about trial of your faith is effective. It does things to you. It also shows to other people that, yeah, I can tell they're a Christian by what they're doing. Not doing those things doesn't make you a non-Christian. makes you an ineffective one. The other Old Testament example is Rahab. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So here, in the same way, James says. So this is an example that's going to match up with what he's talking about, about Abraham, the same process. And he doesn't go into the story of Rahab. He just says that her faith was demonstrated and could be seen when she hid the spies, helped them escape, and sent the pursuers in the wrong direction. If you took the time to go back to Joshua, chapter 2, you have Rahab talking to the spies after she's hid them, uh, when she's brought them in, Uh, I know that the Lord has given you this land. 
We have heard, talking about Jericho, talking about the people in the land, we heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea for you uh, when you came out of Egypt. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. Okay, you, you can put a period there for the bulk of the people in the land, but there's a comma, and Rahab says, listen to this, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She believed God. And as a result of that, she, she did some things which happened to also demonstrate that faith that she had. So this is what James is trying to tell us. In the first example, uh, James uses it... Oh, the final example. I'm sorry, the fourth one. He uses a body that's without a spirit and is dead. And he says, that's like faith without works being dead. Well, that's, a, that's a little bit of a tricky example. Because again, we think about, you know, in, in reality, in theological terms, we were dead and Christ made us alive in spirit. But that's not the way James is using that here. He's talking about it as strictly an illustration. You have a body here. And if that body has no spirit, and it's not moving around, it's useless, it's dead, it's not productive. It shows no evidence of that. Um, just because it's sitting still, though, you can't say, well, it's, it's, not, not, really, it's not really alive. Uh, it, but but it's, it's that life, that spirit that animates it. So he connects that up, the body... Without an animating spirit, we look and say, the guy's dead. Uh, and the same way faith, if it doesn't have this animation to it, doesn't have these results, uh, it's useless. It's non-functioning. The, uh, so, uh, in gen- the Galatians series, I use an illustration of a car to sort of picture salvation. Uh, everything to... S- to start a car and keep it running is under the hood. You know, I had a chance to be in a rental car this week, and um, <laughs> I, I, I won't tell you. But the, um, this was one of those cars, I marvel at new technology, where the, the keys just need to be kind of in the car, and then there's just this little button, and you push it. It starts, starts humming like a cat that's contented. And, and there you are. You, all you've done for salvation is believe. God's done it all. So there you sit in a running car. Uh, however, in a large parking lot, you can't really tell if a car's running or not, if it's not winter, uh, until you spot it backing out of its parking place. Then you say, aha, there's a car that's running. That's because it's moving. It's back and he's going. It's going somewhere. You know, if it's running but not moving, uh, the driving is not effective. It's function. It's not really doing anything. It's not performing its transportation function. Just like faith without works is not effective. It's not seen by others and... Uh, doesn't have an impact. 
It doesn't perform its function of displaying God through its life. So I'm stretching the illustration a little bit, but the point is, this is critical that, we, that God's displayed through us. It doesn't mean we're destined for hell. That's off the table. But we're going to have a hard time staying unstained from the world. We're going to have a hard time uh, showing off God. We're, we're going to have a miserable life because God isn't orienting what we're doing. We're going to be plunging ahead without peace, without love, without joy. So our challenge is, as James is saying, we have faith. What we need to do is also grab the steering wheel, put it in gear, and step on the gas. That's the message of James in this text. Because if you don't, you're unproductive. Your faith is useless in the sense of it, it's, it's, not, it's not doing any of the functions that it's supposed to be doing. Now, there's another part that I put on the outline, the objector, and I knew early on that we're not going to get to cover that. Um, it's, it's a, those few verses are really interesting. They are what makes this passage one of the ten, I would say, ten most difficult in the Bible. You know, Revelation, um, Jude, Second Peter, maybe one or two in Hebrews and a, and a, and a couple in, in the Gospels, and Romans 2. Bill did that in a message, one of, one of the diff- very difficult ones. This is one of the ten most difficult p- passages, and it's because of this objector. You read it, if you read it on the surface of it the way the English translate it, it's not really much of an objection, and it doesn't really, uh, it's not answered that clearly. So there's something else going on, and there's a lot of scholars that have, the, the Greek experts that have dived into the grammar and uh, we could have tried to go through that. But uh, let's just say it, it, it does take, and you can tell the way James answers, that this person is putting up an objection to James' premise that a faith without works is useless. It's not functioning. And um, so we'll just leave that there. I wish we had time to dive into that and go further. But it gets a little technical. The bottom line is that that objector... That person is objecting to James' faith without works is dead. So just to finish up with a final word. Uh, Sometimes uh, these verses can make a person feel like there's some insecurity with their salvation. And that's dead wrong. Um, Sometimes it's used to scare or guilt people into being more active, reading their Bible, serving, praying. You've got to get going. And uh, that's wrong. This is not guilt here. This is not pressure. It's not saying, yeah, the church is full of all these people that just sit there. That's all they do. No, it's not, it's not for that. This is talking about the way God meant things to function. We always, always want you to be thinking about, praying about how God wants to use you, use your gift in the church, also to pray how God wants to use you and how he wants to best show himself through you in all of your daily circumstances. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's amazing, and I only, I, I've only had the privilege once or twice of hearing this, but, 
you know, having people come up to me and say, yeah, you, you remember 15 years ago and you were running the youth group? Well, you told me, you said this to me. And I repeat it and I say, oh, okay. I, no memory of it. God uses us. What he's asking us to do is be faithful in the moment. What he's asking us to do is aggressively pursue the things that are consistent with the new nature. We don't have to worry about, I better say this to this guy because that'll tweak his life. God's going to make all that happen. We need to be honoring God, pursuing him. And uh, that should be our prayers. How you want to use us today in our life. And what James is really saying here is, let that new nature thrive. Let it be the driver. Let it animate your faith. Uh, So if you'll all stand, we'll close with a benediction in the form of a prayer. God, help us to uh, appreciate more fully who you are, uh, what your love is all about, the depth of it, and what we have in you. Lord, we also want to know how we can best honor you and serve you and worship you. Um, Do that for us this week, that our mouths, our hands, our feet, everything that we do, uh, we will do in a way that's consistent with the life that, that you want us to lead, consistent with the life of your dear son. Uh, dismiss us with your blessing in your name. Amen.